Schools are an important context in young people's lives. They spend a large portion of their time there and we know that they can provide a safe and supportive environment and promote positive ideas of relationships. But we also know that they can be places where young people experience harm. Be that within their peer groups, in their neighbourhoods, to and from school, or within spaces in school. Today, I'll be speaking with Gail and Jane to talk about their journey of completing a contextual approach to a school assessment. Gail is a practice development officer at Kent County Council who has led on piloting a school assessment approach with alternative provisions and two schools. Jane is a head teacher from a Kent alternative provision who has worked with Gail and a wider multi-agency team to complete a school assessment. We'll be speaking about the work they've been doing to assess safety in their school, highlighting some of the strengths and challenges of using this approach within a school context. Hi Gail and Jane, thank you so much for joining us. Uh, we would really love to hear about your school assessment journey. So to begin with, um, I'm going to speak to you, Gail. I know you are a practice development officer and you've been leading this school assessment process. So I am really interested in just hearing, you know, firstly, how did you begin? Hi, everyone. Um, so we began back in 2020 to try this out. and We completed um, a soft pilot in a pupil referral unit uh, and that was in 2020 and obviously like everyone else COVID hit so in 2021 around January time um, because we're part of the University of Bedfordshire scale up bid um, to pilot contextual safeguarding um, I was uh, we have a director that's, that's been incredibly supportive as part of the contextual safeguarding steering group um, who was keen for us to try it out again, contextual safeguarding in an education setting using pupil referral units. So um, I was given a brief to sort of form a multi-agency team and uh, look at a referral and pathway process of how a school could refer themselves in if they had worries around um, extrafamilial harm and um, but also look at the idea of school support levels and a support level guidance. Mm -hmm. So we formed a multi-agency team made up of practice development, uh, Kent's front door service, head teachers uh, such as Jane and um, the adolescent team, our attendance service, and the education people. Um, so that team began designing the referral process and pathway. Mm, that's brilliant. And so, so I'm hearing there that you you um, tested a referral route and a support level guidance, which kind of acted as a as a threshold document, I suppose. Right. Um, so. I'm interested in hearing about, you know, historically how issues of extrafamilial harm associated with schools would historically have been dealt with um, and how your your school assessment process helped with that. So um, I would suggest that um, Jane, they would you would have referred to our front door service if you had concerns around extrafamilial harm, but it would have been the individual child or children or young people. Um, yes. so it would have based on an individual. And um, this process was very much based. So Kent has um, a pathway for locations. 
to re be referred to a district contextual safeguarding meeting, which is a multi-agency meeting to look at extrafamilial harm and look at putting together um, safeguarding plans and identifying partners to support that. So the school's process had an opportunity to mirror that process, which is essentially uh, the path we chose. Mm, yeah. And how did you um, identify which schools you would work with at the beginning? So within the multi-agency working group, we had head teachers present um, from pupil referral units and I think a couple of community colleges. And um, I was lucky that I was incredibly supported in the process. And two head teachers, once we had designed the school support level guidance, uh, essentially the school threshold document, um, based around individual children, context and policies. Um, I was very lucky that two head teachers, um, Jane, obviously, mm -hmm. um, came forward and said, I can see that in my school. And, you know, that was really courageous and brave. Um, and one of the head teachers that put themselves forward while saying that, he said to me, Gail, will this be a stick to beat me with? Um, and this is something we, you know, now we can laugh about, can't we, Jane? And we sort of reflect on that process. And there were some difficult conversations around how this would look, how this would feel. Um, and I was really keen to reassure that this wasn't an inspection. This was an assessment process. And just like the design of the pathway, we would be doing with, not to. Mm -hmm. And one of the um, enablers of that, I would suggest, was also obviously that element of respect, but also um, establishing confidentiality and transparency with the school from the beginning mm -hmm. and having a clear plan of what the assessment process would then look like and timelines. Schools are busy places. Yeah, yeah. So what I'm hearing there was that um, a lot of this process was about communicating with schools about what this assessment process would look like and also building those relationships um, and sort of ensuring that it was about collaboration and not doing to the school or inspecting, but, but about um, working with the school. Is that right? hundred uh, percent. And I would add to that, having the multi-agency team, the working group, that were open to creativity and trying new things in terms of safeguarding um, was a real asset and strength and, mm -hmm. and, and a real enabler for Kent to go forward and try this out. That's brilliant. So that leads me nicely to um, asking Jane, you know, what was it like for you as um, a head teacher, part of this process? Um, you know, what did you think when Gail first approached you about this? Well, to be honest, it was it was quite a nervous experience. I mean, I, it was I, I myself put our school forward because I felt there was things that we needed support and a different viewpoint on the experiences that were going on and some some answers really of hand strategies of how we could tackle the issues we were facing. Um, but yeah, really, really nervous. I mean, we, we keep coming back to that word assessment in schools implies that you're under some kind of inspection, usually under Ofsted, obviously. Um, and, and schools 
as soon as you mention assessment, panic a little bit. Um, schools don't want to show their vulnerabilities and, and perhaps weak areas to other professionals because education is publicly criticised frequently in the media um, and not just by the media, but on social media by parents too. So opening yourself up to vulnerabilities and weak areas is literally allowing uh, outsiders or even people you know within the school community the parents for example to to pick forward with what you do so I was nervous about doing it but I also felt that if we didn't we would miss a really really good opportunity not only to develop very strong and trusting relationships with external partners which is what we we aim to do with our young people all the time here because of the vulnerabilities of, of the people in a pre we need to have lots of, of external support in to give us all their skills and, and, and experiences on how we can support our young people. And this would have been a, a very missed opportunity if I hadn't sort of been brave enough to go, let's just do it. Let's do it. Let's see what it comes up with. Um, we aren't failing our pupils. We're doing the very best for them, but we can do better. And this hopefully will guide us in a direction which will enable us to do it better yeah yeah that's that's really that's really lovely to hear and um i suppose for those listening it might be um good to hear about how you would actually describe what a school assessment is and what enabled you to have that confidence to lean into this um process and to know that it wasn't going to be um i suppose about uh the only just about the issues of your school but also about the strengths of what's going on in your school too. Yeah so when it first started obviously I didn't really know what I was letting myself in for we'd sort of talked about the draft school support levels at that stage and and we sort of talked about um, an example of a of, um, I think I called it a, a soft assessment and in, in a, a different prior to, to me taking part in this but I wasn't really sure what the process was going to involve but we have a policy of an open door to all professionals. And I was like, come in, let's just do it. Whatever it is, let's just have a look. And, and if we don't like it, then we'll talk about what we don't like and maybe come up with some ways of doing it in ways that will suit our um, school as well as the professionals coming in. I mean, actually, it was really good because I'd worked previously with both Gail and Julian who were coming in to do the assessment. So knowing those personalities I knew they'd be very willing to adapt be flexible would see our points of view if things were not going particularly well regarding sort of time scales and things as it was we were coming to the end of the summer term it wasn't the best time to do it there were some issues around that maybe we'll come back to that later but you know advice for, for schools taking part in this be very careful where you do it because it's not always the best time for us. We had a lot of new students start at that particular time and therefore they weren't particularly aware of our processes here. Um, so we didn't get all the answers from the young people that maybe we would have got if we'd have done it earlier on in the year. But beyond that, I mean, actually, when the process started, it was really straightforward and it was really about collaboration around this is where we're aiming to get to. These are the stages we're going to go through. But actually, it was flexible enough to work around a really busy school with staffing difficulties during COVID and, and all the situations that happen in a busy pro on a regular day. Um, 
Gail and Julian needed access to all our policies, which was fine. They're, you know, they're signed up by the management committee. Happy to share those. They're what we follow, what we do on a, on a regular basis. And policies, actually, on reflection, some of those policies did need some minor tweaks. And we've done that since. So that was a really useful process there. Um, Gail and Julian also wanted access for, to the staff and the students. And I was like, yeah, here you go. Go and speak to them, go and speak to the students. It's pointless me being with you because there might be a slight sort of emphasis on things that, that are different to why the children or the staff actually feel. And, and this is an open and transparent process. You have to be willing and brave enough to do that. Otherwise, it's pointless. You're just telling people what you want them to hear instead of letting them hear what they need to hear. Mm -hmm. So we did that. We allowed Gail and Julian full access to staff, students, all aspects of the school, all our policies, all our management systems, so how we gather our information on students, how we gather our information on safeguarding concerns, all obviously totally confidential and, and data protection applied in, in the ways that it needed to be. But yeah, it was it was very, very interesting that it, it was as flexible as it was and it, it moved around the immediate needs of the school day. Yeah, yeah, that's brilliant. That's really interesting to hear. So it was sort of a really multi-method collaborative approach where you were engaging with young people, engaging with staff, looking at the policies and the behaviour logs. And so, you know, I'm really interested in hearing, and I suppose you have um, touched upon it already about uh, it kind of identified some gaps in your policies but without sharing any specific details you know what did the school assessment help to identify and um, Gail please feel free as well to speak to this. Well, it, it Jane, did, do you want to go first? Yeah yeah I mean it did identify quite a lot of things um, and quite a lot of those things we were able to change quite quickly so for example um, some of the students didn't really, they knew they could go to any member of staff to disclose any safeguarding and they knew that their information would be shared if necessary. They knew all the basic kind of stuff, but they didn't really know what our safeguarding systems were, you know, what happened next kind of thing. That was mainly to do with the fact that a lot of our new students, almost half of our students were new at that period of time. Um, literally within the last few days they joined the school because we have that turnover at the end of the summer term where our year 11s leave and we take on our new students uh, from our mainstream school so it's not like normal school timings where September's the start time we have transitional students all year round but particularly around that June July period which was when the assessment was um, so straight away we sort of thought do you know what we do do an induction for young people and we do an induction for our staff, but we need to strengthen that. So we went back and we strengthened that. We also found that there was a, an issue around language. In a pre, pupils are all excluded from mainstream schools for, for all kinds of levels of, of behaviour. But often poor language is frequently used by these young people. And some members of staff were, were observed that they'd accepted some sexually uh, explicit language used in the classroom and then that particular um, language it was it was actually written in, into a leaving card for a member of staff and I'd seen that leaving card and immediately challenged those young people about that uh, inappropriate sexual language 
but the, it, that again I identified when Gail said to me you dealt with it straight away your deputy head dealt with it straight away but there was some members of staff in your school that didn't deal with it straight away now that's not because I don't have really good strong teachers what I've got obviously is, is teachers who are exposed to that kind of language from young people quite frequently swearing and then obviously some sexually explicit swear words as well um and I do think that you get to a situation where you don't become immune but you're not picking each and every instance up all the time yeah exactly desensitize it and that was for me really important that that we we recognize that that we do do that um and that's part of human nature I I think as well you know you you do desensitize it's part of our behavior policy that it's just not acceptable uh, one of our rules is around using appropriate language. There are there's a warning system and a red point that students get after their second warning leads to a detention if they use that. So it's about going back to stuff and saying, you know, this is non-negotiable. We need to pick this up all the time. We need to ensure that the warnings are given to the students, the red points, the detentions if they go through that process, because it's really important that our young people leave here and have been challenged sufficiently over time that naturally they begin to change their language. You're not going to change them overnight, but they're not going to hold down a job if they're using that kind of language. So that that came up as something that was really, really important. And, and maybe because I challenge it, my deputy does, we'd not noticed that other members of staff weren't. So, so we were very grateful for having that brought to our attention. Um, Gail, do you want to talk about some of the things that, that were identified? Yeah. Sure. Um, I, I think firstly to say that what we actually found was the outcomes kind of blew us away because we actually found a school's assessment could find out so much. And actually, if I think about, you know, I've been working um, in Kent with contextual safeguarding for a few, sort of two or three years now, and I suppose my own assumptions were blown away because I expected to go into a school and find, um, you know, uh, just um, types of exploitation. Mm-hmm. And what we actually found was that a school's assessment, um, there are many factors that influence and undermine safeguarding in a school. Mm-hmm. You know, it's it's an ecological um, approach, contextual safeguarding. And therefore, the outcomes you find are uh, ecological in nature. And I think that there are many influences. And and Jane's given a really good example, because what we did actually find is that kind of um, there was evidence of sort of structural inequality in places, some of which was down to external influences and some of which was sort of within the school and and like Jana said she was incredibly courageous and open as were her team and we did find and and Jane sort of alluded to this that at times within the school um depending on your background your race or your gender um your experience of school could be different to other young people and uh Jane and I've already discussed I found that a very hard conversation to have mm-hmm. um, but in an important part of the assessment process that we've certainly learned is um, that once you have done the assessment and you've got the outcomes and you've analysed and you've done the contextual weighting 
that that conversation needs to be two way with the head teacher and, and if possible, the senior leadership team. Obviously, we were in COVID times, so I had this conversation with Jane. Um, and um, it, I, I think Jane would say the same. It, it blew us away. We did what we could find out with the process. It was big and huge and and um, needed some time to reflect after that, I think. And we needed a, a plan that was fitting to address those things. And, and I suppose that's one of the really important things that if you're going to do a schools assessment, you're also committing to a plan. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And um, with the uh, with the uh, outcomes, you also need to consider the interplay when you're talking about contextual weighting. So, you know, um, we found things like um, there was an interplay between the structural and neighbourhood context on the school culture um, and relationships were sort of undermining at times emotional and physical safety within the school. Um, but equally, um, I was very lucky that I could have the conversation with Jane about being able, you know, focusing on the school being a safer place for all students, that there is a need to address the wider culture in the school. And, and just going back to Jane's example, one of the um, actions as part of the plan is around everyday leadership, full staff, looking at bias and unconscious bias, but also everyday leadership and, and how they do that successfully. Yeah. Yeah, and what I'm hearing there is that this school assessment really helped to identify some of the social conditions um, that enable or, or mitigate harm. And I guess that is what we're really interested in as well with contextual safeguarding is how can we use these school assessments to identify the norms and values that might enable this kind of harm from happening even uh, you know between peers or the wider cultural context of the school and even you know young people's experiences of um, of harm outside of the school so that's really interesting to hear and I suppose um, you know what I'm also hearing is that you identified a huge amount in the school assessment and that it was massive and so I'm wondering you know how this sort of context weighting exercise helped to put maybe some boundaries in place about where do you actually stop um, in terms of the contextual weighting completing the assessment process using the resources on the contextual safeguarding network enables you to draw out the themes in terms of contextual weighting. So you go from, if you think of it as like a filtering and funneling exercise, I think for starters, it's I was coaching um, a youth hub delivery manager, Julian, who we've spoken about, to complete the assessment. But because there was two of us, we were able to have those reflective discussions and those kind of um, critical challenges of what we were seeing and, and passing that between us you know two heads essentially are better than one uh, and and Jane was also involved in that process because we were able to document everything on the assessment form then look at the different interplays and I think what is a great enabler is obviously contextual safeguarding training because you're able to 
identify what's going, which theme you need to address first to make a difference in this context. So which, uh, I say theme, which worry that you have found that is going to make a big difference in this context initially? And by, and if there's a worry that you don't address, is it going to make things worse or undermine another aspect of safeguarding within the school? That's probably the best way I can answer that question. I would also suggest from the interplay and the contextual waiting, um, whilst we were going through that process, I found myself, because of the nature of what we were um, finding out from the assessment process, thinking about the school within the context it sits geographically, um, in terms of location, but also in terms of community. And what do what do I need to know about that community? Now, the beauty of involving and having a youth hub delivery manager do complete the assessment is they know their patch. They complete community profiles and they have an understanding of the context within the context. Uh, I think also additionally, in terms of involving young people, when young people didn't want to talk in school, we were able to talk to them within youth provision. And and, um, and at times I think they found that easier um, uh, because of the different environment and the different relationships. Uh, and, and I think it can be confusing, can't it, when you're um, seeing a youth worker within school, you know? So I think they were great enablers in terms of contextual waiting and drawing together a plan. Thank you. And Jane, is there anything you wanted to add to that? Um, only really that, like Gail said, a, a huge amount of stuff came out of this. And actually, a lot of it was easy wins for me here. Um, a lot of those um, issues that did need to be addressed, although Gail's talking about, you know, the, the, the big one to identify that will make the biggest difference. We did identify that and, and things have been put in place to sort of tackle um, those differences around um, the diverse cultures and the understanding of each other's cultures. And, and, and that will involve collaborative work with other professionals. But there were lots of easy wins for me here as well. So just the way that we record peer on peer abuse, the system that we buy, for example, and a lot of schools will buy it comes with standard safeguarding sort of categories and peer-on-peer -peer abuse isn't one of them. So I, you can add your own, which I did add three uh, categories very quickly and very easily after, which made it much easier for staff to be able to report their concerns um, and much easier for us to track and monitor the number of concerns around peer-on-peer -peer abuse. Um, so that was a really, really easy win. Another really easy win was there was a few gaps identified in the RSHE curriculum. Um, and again, it was really easy for us to just look at that long term curriculum planning and identify what additional emphasis we needed to put on in our short and midterm plans. And, and that was turned around very, very quickly and it was delivered to students around um, the unconscious bias. And, and staff's um, lack of understanding of that. Again, I, I buy into National College. It's CPD that staff can do in their own time. They do it online. And there is a, a particular short course 
around unconscious bias. I literally just logged everybody's name onto that particular course. And they did that within, within a week of this assessment. So there are big things, the big focus, but there's also lots yeah. of much smaller things that schools make differences by implementing very quickly and for very small amounts of effort and, and probably no cost as well. So I think that's quite important for the schools to know it, it will make big differences with even small changes. Yeah, I find that so heartening to hear, Jane, to hear, you know, your commitment and genuine um, understanding of um, contextual safeguarding as an approach. And, and again, your consistent open, openness and transparency. And to know that, our, you know, the assessment that myself, you and Julian, the process we went through, um, and I know you and Julian have further plans, um, to know it's already making a difference is just makes my heart swell if I'm honest oh yeah I really I mean, I'm so glad we did it I'm really really pleased that we went through the process and and now at the other side the other side of it, it doesn't feel like it's overwhelming or doesn't make me feel nervous in fact I'm just really proud that we did it and we sort of took the ball by the horn so to speak and and we and we got through and we've, we've come out the other side and made differences to these young people absolutely Oh, that's really that's really lovely. And I guess this leads me nicely to the, the final sort of questions, which is, um, Gail, do you have any messages for practitioners hoping to implement this work into their system? Yeah, I think, um, Vanessa, you talked about looking at the strengths within the school as well. I should add that we found a lot of strengths within Jane's school as well to build upon in terms of um increasing safeguarding for young people and i think that needs to be said and i think going forward if i was to do this again um which potentially we're looking at is um how we involve young people more but also non-traditional partners who else might you think might be involved i think um so it's really important to speak to the partners that do go into the school as part of the process to get an understanding. Uh, but I think it's also really important to consider, I've talked a lot about where the school is based in the context. I think we need to consider the non-traditional partners that we can engage. So the residents that are near the school, the shop owners that are near the school, how do they experience um, the context? Yeah. How, what do they see around young people and could they support young people and could they support the school in increasing safeguarding? And um, I think that's an area for us that is something I'm keen to consider uh, going forward. And I think with involving young people, we got their voices, we definitely heard them, but how do we also make them a partner in their own safeguarding? And and part of those plans, what actions do, again, not doing to, but what could they do with? And could they be involved in the assessment process and be a youth assessment team as part of that process? But we're still learning. So we've also got to think about how we support non-traditional partners and young people to engage in the process and how we find the right language um, to do that as well. Yes, yeah, absolutely. There has been challenges and there has been enablers, and I think that's really important. I think one of the challenges 
that we identified early on in the working group was the crossroads between safeguarding and education safeguarding and, and improvement. And I think that's something that still needs to be um, discussed further. Uh, Jane mentioned the time commitment. It's the time commitment, but also the timing. As Jane said, you know, the summer term um, was not ideal, but we got through. And um, timing, I would say staffing capacity and DSL capacity to be able to just um, be part of that assessment team. Um, I was very lucky because Jane took that on. Also, where you want to have a look at the data, uh, the behaviour and safeguarding logs. And, and again, Jane's alluded to this, the systems don't talk to each other. And also what um, extra familial harm is recorded under. Mm. Sometimes it's recorded under safeguarding. Sometimes it's recorded under behaviour and having a really clear policy on that. Or like Jane has done, create her own tabs, but also perhaps it needs to be recorded under both. Um, um, I would certainly say some of the enablers are, are the multi-agency approach and doing with, not to. I think um, being clear with your school in the first place that they're being courageous and that you respect that. Um, building that relationship and taking that time to build trust um, and being transparent about the process and timescales and confidentiality. I have not shared anything that I haven't gained permission from Jane first. Um, having school support levels has been an enabler because we're speaking the same language and actually, as Jane shared earlier, she was able to identify harms within her school or worries within her school. And I think it enables to dispel myths and makes the process less scary. I think youth worker involvement in the assessment process was a real strength in terms of understanding the community with which the school is based um, and the opportunity that young people have those established relationships and those conversations can happen outside of school um, about where they feel safe within their school. And I suppose that's important to say as well, which we haven't touched upon, that this was a learning process for the school, but also a learning process for Kent Children's Services. And we're lucky that we have a strong practice development team that could commit to this process. It, it was my sole role. I didn't have to manage a, a team or, um, or manage a caseload. I could just do that, which was um, a real enabler. And I guess also having the support, I can't not say this, from the University of Bedfordshire and the Durham University team. Yeah, that is really helpful, Gail. Thank you so much. And Jane, do you have any messages for schools about being involved in this kind of work? Yeah, I mean, I think I've said a lot of my things already, but to summarise, I'd just like to say to schools, think of this as a development process. It's a way of developing a safer school and environment for all of your young people. Don't think of it as a judgement, um, because it's not. The only person who is going to judge you is yourself as a head teacher, and we should be doing that anyhow. So just embrace it, take it as what it is. It's about ensuring that the school that you are leading will be a safer school for your young people. That's lovely. Thank you so much for your time. Is there anything else you'd like to share? No, thank you. Well, thank you so much for 
um, joining me for this discussion today because it's been really rich and really, really helpful, I'm sure, for schools and other local authorities looking to um, implement contextual approaches to school assessments. And there are many more resources uh, on the network. So um, I'm sure we will be adding to that as the learning develops as well. So thank you so much um, both. And it was really, really, really helpful to talk to you today. Thank you for inviting me. Thank you, lovely to see you both.